So I want to continue to reflect alongside you and with you and inspired by you about the wisdom of the body and our care for our individual body which of course reverberates in the way that we care for community and also for our physical world which really is an abundance of communities not all of them confined to human species so I'm remembering a phrase that I've mentioned before, I'm quite sure, that was in Hare, where somebody, somebody that I quite identified with, a young girl, I was a young girl then, uh, speaking to a highly charged political activist, so I had sympathy for that person too, saying, do you only care about the bleeding crowd? How about a needing friend? I need a friend. Do you only care about the bleeding crowd? How about a needing friend? I need a friend. In other words, and this is where social media also has its merits and its drawbacks, it can be far more stimulating to attend to the big dramas. And they need attention. But do they need attention all of the time? So this is again where discernment comes in. This is again where discernment is our friend. Where are we placing our attention? And what's arising from that? What's, what's coming out of it? What are we influencing and affecting through our attention? I think this is a really, really useful question, totally aligned to Mary Oliver's question. What are you doing with your wild and precious life? How are you spending it and even more, how are you being it? How are you being it? And of course, this is a question to ask ourselves in different ways at different times in our lives. Because I know Paul's reading a bit of Jung at the moment, and Paul, but also Richard Rohr too, is very much emphasizing that at different points in our lives we need to be using our life allowing life to use us differently so when we are young of course it's immensely appropriate that we would be giving a lot of energy to who are we in the world and what are we creating through our actions and so on and that vigor you know, can still be with us into the oldest of old age. But we might also refine it a little bit. We might be somewhat less impetuous. We might also be considering with a little bit more insight than earlier on about what drives us, what drives us, what, not just what motivates it, us, what feels really compelling. In other words, what's, what's got a hold on us? I think it's worth thinking about this and rec recognising when we don't have a choice apparently, or where more choosing is required. And maybe we won't do anything very differently, but we will do it more voluntarily. We will say to ourselves, okay, 
I know the consequences of this and I'm still choosing it. Yeah? With some responsibility for the effects. This is also what discernment lets us know. Discernment also lets us know that taking care of our bodies doesn't only mean going to the gym and having a lot of massages <laughs> or eating only organic food or what else? What have I forgotten? Or being highly judgmental about what anybody else puts in their mouth. Yeah? Taking care of our bodies might include that. Certainly it includes movement, if we're capable of movement. Um, certainly it, inc it includes thinking about what fitness might mean. Does, what does fitness mean? Does it mean fit for life, fit for living, fit for loving, fit for dancing, fit for climbing a mountain? What does it mean, fitness? Yeah? What does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to be flexible? Because these are also all qualities of the mind. Fitness of the mind, wellness of the mind, flexibility of the mind. These are, these are things that we train ourselves for, sometimes in quite a hectic way, around the body without perhaps discerning and giving a little time of massage to the messages that the body is constantly receiving from the mind and the messages that the body is constantly giving to not just the mind, the sense of self. It's nice to have a massage, I think. I'm not terribly keen on massage myself, though I do like Watsu. Watsu. But I'm not terribly keen on massage. But I, I, totally, I totally accept that for many people, it's a very beautiful thing because it involves the element of touch. So, here's a good example. If, for example... Massage feels very soothing to you. And even if it doesn't, let's think about that sense of touch. What you are allowing yourself to be touched by. I don't mean in the massage situation. I mean in life in general. What are you allowing to touch you? What are you allowing to move you? Where are you paying attention? For example, could you get, could you participate in the sacrament of touch by taking off your shoes and socks and walking across grass mindfully? Is that possible? I mean, it may not be possible, but it may be possible. Is it possible to sit on a park bench sometimes without checking your phone and feeling, as I remind you over and over again in meditation, that for the moment you are held? This is actually physical touch and it is very touching. Let's suppose you are in a meeting where everything has been reduced to an abstraction, as though human beings barely existed. 
How many do you need to get rid of today? Oh, 44. Oh, well, that's okay. They can mostly come from over there. Or, oh, no, no, no. They should mostly come from over there. Who are these 44? They're functionaries. Are they human beings? Perhaps not. Is this a violence? This is a violence that happens in the most respectable circles that people are reduced to numbers and people are reduced to functions. Who could be touched by that? It's appalling. So we can't be touched by it. We have to do it from a place within ourselves where we are so defended against decency and empathy and compassion that we're capable of behaving ourselves like automatons. Isn't that, isn't that right? Send them off to war. Glorious. So, so, I'm assuming that each of you, for the safety of your own body and for the body of our community and for the body of our world, wants to remain touchable. You want to remain being touched even though sometimes this will cost you very dear. Sometimes you can open the newspaper or read it on your phone or something and cry. It's worth it. Your moments of discomfort and mine are worth it to remain open. You must still take care of yourself, of course. But the shutting off is the harm to the body. The refusing to be touched is the harm to the body. The indifference is the harm to the body. And by body, in this sense, I'm meaning body-mind and soul. Yeah? Oh, gosh, I hope I've said that so clearly. Yes, you did. I hope I did. So, Back to the park bench, but also back to the meeting that some of you must attend meetings where people are spoken of as though they were functionaries, as though they were numbers that are inconvenient in one moment and convenient in the next. Everything is to do with my convenience, which is sometimes called profit. A profit is more convenient than a loss of profit, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay. So some of you are participating in this world and it's hard. And we are all participating in this world indirectly if not directly. Sometimes in a meeting you can feel the chair under your body. You can feel the earth beneath your soles of your shoes because you've probably got your best shoes on in this meeting. <laughs> and through that, down through the power of the imagination to the earth where we all belong and where we'll all return, the bones, I mean, whether it's ashes or bones, doesn't matter, down. And know I am held. I am not only held, I am held in my wholeness. Because when we fragment ourselves inwardly, we become capable of fragmenting our family outwardly. Do you see that? Yes. You sit there. You allow the body, you allow the body, this physical body to ground you through the feet, through the place where your thighs and back are held. I am held in my integrity and wholeness. Yeah? I am held in my integrity and wholeness. 
And how you then respond is, of course, dependent entirely on the circumstances. And maybe the circumstances are much cheerier than I'm, I'm describing, but they might still be upsetting in some way. But in this moment, you are allowing body and soul to support the mind. Do you see that? It is the sacrament of integration. It is the sacrament of integration. I am held in my integrity and wholeness. Now, Jan probably knows this too, but in the early days of the Religious Society of Friends, where they were very pilloried because each friend, each Quaker, discovered through experience that they could experience the inner teacher that they didn't need to have a hierarchy. They didn't need a priest as an intermediary. And this was, of course, very upsetting in hierarchical 17th century England, as it's still pretty upsetting in 21st century life to many people, that there should be sort of steps and hierarchy and you need to know your place. And I would say of all the religious groups within whichever religion, the most fundamentally democratic is the religious society of friends. And also they were very pilloried because they refused to use honorifics. They wouldn't say Reverend Doctor. They would just say Hilary, how are you? Janet, how are you? Annie? How are you? Victoria, how are you? Yeah? Walking lightly on this earth, answering that of God in everyone. But the other point that I really wanted to make was about being held in our wholeness and integrity is that in those early days, they used to preach, which Quakers don't do any longer, but one would preach and one would pray. In other words, the preacher was held by the integrity and wholeness of the praying who in turn was held by the integrity and wholeness of the prayed, the summoned, the beloved. Yeah? So when you were thinking about fitness, flexibility, strength of the body ask yourself darling how is this aligning with the messages that my mind is giving my body and how is this aligning with the messages that my mouth is giving to the body of the community. The messages that we give through right speech or speech that is not so skillful are very, very powerful and they have a huge effect on the body. Now, I'm going to rush in and say that I do not mean by this that we can cure one another through having the right words. There's that amazing phrase, of course, say but the word and my soul shall be healed. It doesn't mean that we can just heal the body like that, but we can certainly hurt the body. We can certainly hurt the body and we can also aid in healing in the biggest sense of that, which is that we are constantly healing our spirit, even if it's time for the body to go. Yeah? Is that 
That's, is that straightforward? Mm -hmm. So it's not, I'm not giving some sort of hocus-pocus Louise Hay message <laughs> that we've all caused our own illnesses. I feel very strongly against that. But some of the things that we do put us at greater risk. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that we do put us at less risk. That's all. So let's cooperate with less risk rather than more. Let's just cooperate with less risk rather than more, but not on our own behalf only. Yeah. And sometimes it matters far less if your vegetables are organic than what you're thinking. Whether you're thinking, hopefully, and with integrity and with kindness. I mean, you could put all the organic vegetables in your mouth and if you're thinking sour thoughts, better to stick to pickles. <laughs> I hope you'll enjoy the sacrament of a pickle. As soon as you go home, go and buy from your whole food store, of which there's now an abundance. <coughs> uh, if only there were whole mind stores or holy soul stores. Have a pickle. And the other thing about pickle is that it rhymes with tickle. <laughs> Yes, Dr. Foster went to Gloucester in a shower of rain. He stepped in a puddle right up to his middle and he learnt something. He never went there again. All right. I, I still want to speak to you a little bit about the elements of earth, fire, water and whatever the other one is, air, <laughs> where I live. And I forgot it yesterday too. It's, it, I've had great difficulty in this incarnation coming into the body, not just being in the air. Hello, you were just saying before, you were talking about... Stephanie. Stephanie. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't know if you all call Hillary Stephanie, but I love if you call me Hillary. That's okay. That's okay, Carol. Fragmenting. Yes. Uh, talking about, you'd like me to talk more about fragmenting. Yes, I will. Okay, I'll bring that in. And if I haven't brought it in well enough, you tell me. Um, was it in the context of fragmenting, uh, cutting ourselves off from being touched? <clears throat> yes, I will. I have sent some of my... Um, videoed short talks from YouTube that have been recorded <laughs> at Pitt Street. Um, I've sent some of them to a, a, a typing service called <coughs> rev.com and they do a lovely job but some things come back to, in, a, in a funny way. Well, who could blame them? So, so here I was talking about Shantideva who's a Buddhist teacher from the 8th century. I got that. I must have put that in the list of words. But I said, he wrote a wonderful book called A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. And the typist put, A Guide to the Bodhisuffer's <laughs> Way of Life. And in fact, what a, what a Freudian slip. What a beautiful, the body suffers. The body suffers and so does the body mind suffer. And so does the soul suffer. And so does the spirit suffer. Until we see what causes suffering. And one of the things that causes suffering is cutting ourselves off from being touched out of fear or self-righteousness or, or the very common belief that there is not enough to go around and that if I don't get plenty... I will never be happy, or if you get plenty and I don't, I will never be happy. Yeah? 
So the fragmenting happens for a whole lot of very powerful reasons. Our society builds on, is built upon dualistic thinking, separating one from another, separating enough from not enough, separating good from bad, separating self from ourselves. Because when we're integrated, when we're feeling whole, when we could truly say, may you be well and happy, when we're doing that, we have to care about other people. And the way we have set up human society, it's as though we can only care about a limited number of people <coughs> at a time. That is our tribal thinking. And it is very strong. And that if my tribe doesn't have enough, we have to take it from your tribe. And if my tribe has too much, we're fearful because your tribe might take it. Yeah? But who the tribe is changes from time to time. So through the 20th century, which is the most violent century our human family has ever experienced, just think about it. Who was the enemy? 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 Come into our 21st century. Who was the enemy? Who was the enemy? Who was the enemy? It was always the other. But the name of the other changed. <clears throat> when Thich Nhat Hanh went as a very young man during the time of what was called in Vietnam the American War, <clears throat> when many, many Americans, Australians, and I'm not sure about New Zealanders, yes, all were dying, but thousands of Vietnamese were dying, including littlest children. And when Thich Nhat Hanh went to the United States, he was asked, do you come from the north or from the south? This question makes perfect sense in dualistic thinking. Are you gay or are you straight? Are you white or are you black? Are you clever or are you not clever? Are you well-credentialed or are you not well-credentialed? Yeah. Are you a Buddhist or are you a Hindu? And if you're a Buddhist, what kind of Buddhist are you? Oh, you're a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? Oh. Oh. Yeah. So, back to Thich Nhat Hanh, this young man who I imagine had a high degree of dignity and wholeness because that is absolutely what he teaches. Are you from the north or from the south? I am from the middle. <laughs> we are all from the middle. The middle is a place that is so spacious. Everyone belongs. So when we are suspecting that there is fragmenting going on, either within our own thoughts, separating us from other people or from ourselves, it might be very helpful to think, how does this look from the middle? It's less defensive and it's less offensive. All right. So Shantideva wrote a book called A Guide to the Bodhisattva, which means the enlightened being's way of life. Of course, it would be called self-help now and put in the back of the shop. So, oh, perhaps it doesn't even have a shelf at all now because it's all about fitness. 
Um, you don't detect a note of bitterness in my voice. All right, so this is what one of the things that Shanti Davis said, which I am giving to you now, with a, with a deep bow to Shanti Deva. All the joy the world contains comes from wishing joy to others. All the sorrow the world contains comes from wanting pleasure only for one's self. I think I'll write this on the board after because it's truly wonderful. So, all the joy the world contains comes from wishing joy to others. All the sorrow the world contains comes from wanting pleasure only for oneself. It comes from imagining from the dualistic mind that the more I have, the happier I will be. What a fantasy. And the less I share. So it drives ideologies that drive our world. I'm just wondering what the, Paul, I'm just wondering what that amazing image was about how much of the world's wealth is held by, you know, the 18 people in the bus. It was, I don't know if it was 18, please don't think that was accurate, but somebody produced, was it Conrad Hackett who produced the image of how much of the world's wealth is held by literally a handful of people while children starve, while children are trafficked. Yeah. I don't think they've read Shantideva because there's no joy in it. You can see it. There's no joy in it. So I want to move us on to thinking about joy. And in thinking about joy, I also want to think about the elements that we contain in the physical body earth, fire, water, and air. Let's start with fire. Now, each of us, of course, has these elements in a unique combination. That's the gloriousness of our separateness. And often our misunderstandings arise because we're a bit uncomfortable or even offended by the makeup of another person. We find them hard to understand. So if we look at fire, for example, and what's usually associated with fire is creativity and inspiration. Now, we need fire, of course, to warm ourselves. We need fire to warm the heart. We need fire also to give light, to illuminate we all need fire. But fire can also be a huge danger. It can be consumed by itself. It can burn others. 
it attracts, you see, but it says if you come too close, you will suffer. Every element is complex. But if you were to think about fire at this moment, and if you were to think about the place of fire, let's just call it the fire of illumination, the fire of creativity, in your own life. In which area of your life could you have more fire? Could you take a few moments to think about that? You're going to return to all of these. But now I want to speak to you about water. About water. Because, of course, we associate water with the realm of feeling. The first, the first book that I wrote, beginning to identify myself as a writer rather than as a publisher, was called Running Backwards Over Sand. And when we, first of all, running backwards is quite hard. It's much easier to run forwards. Running backwards is quite tricky. And if you run backwards on sand, your heels definitely leave a mark. But also sand is next to the ocean. And the ocean in a sense, is a metaphor for life, isn't it? It's a profound metaphor for life because its tides come and go. It has waves and the waves return to the ocean. A wave may arise as though singly, but always returns to the ocean. So, to a very great extent, we are swimmers in the ocean of life but within a more transpersonal context, the ocean is also a symbol of the unconscious. And it's where the unconscious abuts with the consciousness that we sometimes get our biggest teachings. This is one of the things that writing in your journal allows. That some things that are coming towards you to be known and to be ready come from the unconscious. But if we think of the element of water, we think not only of the oceans, we also think of the rain, of the rain that refreshes. We think of the rivers, that rush forward. And we think of our own body's need for water and also how much of our body is water which apparently is in very close parallel to the amount of water on the whole planet. There was a teacher at Gabriel's school who had done intense work on all the correspondences that Steiner himself was so interested in. And they're completely fascinating. But we are made up of water. So our body is also water and our body is full of feeling. Our, our body is inescapably feeling isn't it we take the world in through our feeling senses we give the world out through our feeling senses yeah so the water is a immense element in our lives 
in our lives as elemental creatures. So I want you to ask yourself, Where does my watery self need more attention or more freshness? Perhaps just write the question because this is certainly something you could take into a longer time. Where does my watery self need more attention. And how could my watery self, my feeling self, find and give more joy? My feeling self, my watery self, my receptive self, my renewing self. So much water here at Mana and so little in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. And we are all parched sometimes for the living waters. And we can be flooded by our emotions. Where are you from? Are you from the north or the south? I am from the middle. We need and we need not to be flooded. Yeah? We need and we need not to be flooded. And others need from us and not to be flooded. Not too many demands with this feeling self. Not too many demands. Trust, integrity, wholeness. So we can be open to the flow of giving and receiving. And how does it flow? Well, through all the elements, but maybe particularly through the watery element. And how could my feeling self find and give more joy? Joy, joy, God's great joy. Yeah, joy. Joy. We pay a lot of attention to suffering, and so we should. But oh boy, we need to pay attention to joy. The um, the book of um, sacred poetry that I was trying to remember yesterday, edited by Robert Bly, is called The Soul is Here for Its Own Joy. It's a wonderful book. The Soul is Here for Its Own Joy. Don't we give it a hard time? <laughs> Air. We have a very derogatory expression in English, which is that we call somebody who seems very flighty an airhead. And let's think about that for a moment, because it's quite useful. What it means, I think, is that that person is not grounded in noticing the effects of that constant whatever, whatever. So gossip, trivialization, um, meaninglessness, um, distraction, belong in the airhead realm not because there's not some merit in some of them, but as a constant, this is not refreshing, um, because they're also not grounded in observing their effect on other people as well as their effect on yourself. 
if you're only thinking about rubbish all of the time, and if your greatest source of stimulation was on the front cover of New Idea, you're starved. You are starved. Every mind, every human mind, even the children who are born very damaged, every human mind needs something beautiful, needs something moving. And it can be very, very simple. It can be looking into the heart of a daisy. But it, just, it can't be just being a sort of parasite on famous people's lives and, you know, whether Nicole Kidman walked up and kissed somebody or oh, all this nonsense that you see on, you know, when you go to you do your supermarket shopping. Ruth <laughs> told me she doesn't do supermarket shopping. She sends Robert, maybe Robert's uh, able to... <laughs> okay. So, so air, the, the, the great gift of air is the gift of spirit. It's the gift of inspiration. It's the gift of intellect. It, and you don't need to be an intellectual to enjoy your intellect. Not at all. You... You only have an invitation through the airy aspects of the self to engage sometimes with what is meaningful. Or even, let me give you the most exquisite example of all, to say grace before a meal. What could be simpler? To become mindful for a few moments before you eat and while you eat is a gift that involves all the elements. It doesn't it. So when I talk about the gifts of intellect and inspiration, this is not for special people. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. And maybe the person whose journey through this particular life is one of great damage to the intellect nevertheless has perceptions through touch, for example, and will still experience the difference between the beauty of kindness and the absence of the beauty of kindness. Whatever state of mind we're in, and many of you I know have had friends or loved ones or parents who've also lost some of the gifts of intellect as they've aged, still needing the gifts of air as much as the gifts of fire and of water, still needing moments of beauty. I remember Hilary telling me that to the very end, her mother so loved it when you played piano and sang for all of the people in her rest home. <coughs> Yes. Yes. That kind of beauty also grounds us. So then we come to the last element, which is, of course, the element in which, to some extent, all others depend, the element of earth. However, in the earth, in any patch of physical earth, there is fire, there is air, there is water. This is also into being. Do you, do you, do you see that? Yeah. In every flower, there is water. In every cabbage, there is earth. We eat the elements. We are the elements. So I've spoken quite a lot about 
grounding in the meditations every day. So I won't say much more about that, but I just want you to write down the question, where in my body do I feel the benefits of air inspiration where in my body and where do I express that most directly and joyfully And in relation to earth and this is a big one where do I ground where do I ground my inspiration through my conduct otherwise it's all just a nice idea where do I ground my inspiration through my conduct. And when I ask where do I, it can also mean where could I? Where could I? We are unfolding in every moment. And finally, finally, what will bring me joy? Just take care of yourself for a moment. What will bring me joy when I think about earthing and airing and watering and firing? What will bring me joy? So I'm going to ask you to take those questions away for a good 35 minutes of reflection between yourself and your journal. There's a lot to think about. You elemental darlings, you. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? We call elementary school. Hmm? Be airy. <laughs> be airy or be fiery or be earthy or be, you know, especially one that you might not be so practiced in. But all joyful, even attending to the sorrows with hope. Om Shanti.